calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. You are listening to Episode 5 of Half Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the Solar Clipper, written and read by Nathan Lowell. Chapter 8, St. Cloud Orbital, 2352, February 21. I woke with a start and tried to figure out why. Then I remembered that I didn't work on the mess deck anymore. The watchstander hadn't come for me. I didn't really need to get up, but after five months of rising at 0430, my bladder told me it was still working on the galley schedule. I laughed to myself and crawled quietly out of the rack and padded into the sand. It was starting out to be an interesting day already. After my shower, I climbed into a fresh ship suit and headed up to the galley to see if breakfast was ready yet. I stuck my head through the galley hatch when I got there and found Pip and Cookie were being schooled in biscuit-making by Sarah. Look, she was saying, just because you have to make a lot of them, that's no reason to make them so roughly. She was only up to Pip's shoulders, but she could see eye to eye with Cookie, who gave every appearance of paying very close attention. If you use the soft flour and cut the shortening before you add the leavening agents, you'll wind up with a much lighter biscuit. She had the sleeves of her ship suit pushed up and was working the biscuit dough with her hands down in the bowl. The most dramatic change was that she had her hair pulled back in a ponytail. The left side of her face, back on the jawline and behind the eye, had several layers of bruising on it. Neither Cookie nor Pip seemed to notice. She held the bowl up at an angle so they could look into it. See? This is cut in nicely, and we haven't bothered to structure the flour terribly. If I just sprinkle the baking powder, baking soda, and a little sugar on there... She matched action to words. I can use my hand to turn it like a garden spade, tilling the soil. She proceeded to scoop and fold, scoop and fold, spinning the bowl on the counter a bit with each scoop. Now this... She stopped to show them the inside of the bowl again is ready for adding liquid. Pip waved to me and Cookie nodded, but Sarah was so absorbed in the bowl she didn't notice. I withdrew to the mess deck quietly and helped myself to a mug of coffee. I took a seat at a corner table, pulled out my tablet, and started reviewing the ship's schematic on the environmental section. I could hear Sarah's voice from the galley, and I found myself just staring at the tablet screen and trying to reconcile this Sarah with the fearful wounded Sarah from the day before. The turnaround wasn't merely dramatic. It was frightening. I glanced up at the chrono and realized that there was still a half a stand before the breakfast drill officially got underway, so I holstered my tablet again, topped off the coffee, and headed down to environmental. It was going to be my new home, I thought, so I may as well get used to hanging out there. Brill was sitting at the watchstander station, leaning back in the chair with her long legs propped up on the console. She had her tablet out and was editing something with her stylus. Good morning, boss, I called. 
She looked up and smiled. Hey! She glanced at the chrono. What are you doing up so early? Don't you know you're supposed to sleep in when we're in port? My mind knows, I grinned, but my bladder has a five-month habit to break. She chuckled at that. I can see where that might be a problem. So, you're officially assigned to me now? Yep, I told her. Benjamin Wong, reporting for duty, I think. She pointed to the coffee. Is that for me? Well, you can have it if you want, I told her, but I already drank some. It's got ish cooties on it. Brill laughed. Mercy, I haven't heard that since grade school. I don't think I've said it since grade school, I told her. You want a coffee? I'll go grab one if you like. She swung her legs down and stood up from the chair. I do, but I'll go get it. You sit, and I'll give you your first lesson in environmental watch standing. I took the chair, still warm from her body, and she showed me the various displays on the station. They were basically real-time representations of the air and water systems on the ship. The center monitor showed a schematic diagram of the ship, similar to the schematic I was familiar with on my tablet. Air is in green and water is in blue, she pointed out. You can use the stylus on the screen to isolate one or the other system, rotate, zoom, so on, just like on your tablet. Try it. It did work just like my tablet, but with the larger display it was pretty dramatic. She pointed out the displays to the left and the right at the center. Over there are air readouts, and over here are water. They get updated every few seconds and show you the pressures, chemical compositions, and system status. If anything gets out of whack, they change color, and the location of the sensor that's giving the reading will blink up on the schematic. Well, that seems simple enough, I told her. It is. Now, you sit there and watch for a tick. I'm going to go run out for coffee, and I'll be right back. What do I do if something changes, I asked. Bit my tablet and I'll come running, she said seriously, but it's not terribly likely. We almost never get any problems here because we stay on top of system maintenance. Let me go get my coffee and I'll explain more when I get back. Okay, sure, I told her, although I was a bit nervous being left there alone with so little introduction to my duties. Good man, she said, headed for the hatch. Back in a flash. I sat there watching intently, my eyes flicking from one to the next to the next. I started trying to reason out what the various graphs, charts, and tables were telling me. The air system had a tick-by-tick -tick graph showing the incoming and outgoing air compositions. There were colored regions, indicated as oxygen, nitrogen, carbon dioxide, and trace. It took me a tick or so to realize that they actually were moving, because they were just straight bars on the screen, but when I saw the time tick scrolling across the bottom axis and realized the graph was being refreshed, but the values were constant. Just then a small box opened up on the ship's schematic display with the words Automatic System Integrity Check on it. Below that it blinked, Running. It blinked for less than a tick before changing to air systems nominal, and under that, water systems nominal. Below that, a little acknowledge button showed up. I was just beginning to wonder what to do when Brill came back with her coffee and a plate of some of Cookie's pastries on it. Looking at the display, she said, oh, just acknowledge. Those things happen randomly every stand. I used my stylus to select the acknowledge button, and the little box disappeared. They get logged in along with the length of time it takes the watch standard to respond. Anything up to five ticks is fine. After that, it starts blinking. At 15 ticks, it starts beeping. At half a stand, it automatically notifies the section supervisor and puts a warning up on the ship's status display on the bridge. If it goes a full stand, it throws up an alarm on the bridge and the supervisor's tablet. I considered that. Got it. Moral of the story is, be careful because help won't come for at least half a stand. <laughs> exactly, she said. Of course, the reality is that, other than the very real danger of falling asleep from the stultifying boredom of routine watch, she grinned at that, Anything that might harm you will leave a trace in either the air or water supply, or both, and that will trigger a whole different set of warnings and alarms. You make this sound a little scary, I told her. Scary is good. It means you treat the system seriously, she said. 
Remember that danger to you isn't really the issue, but rather you're the first line of defense against a failure that could leave the crew suffocating where they stand. Okay, is it too late for me to go back to the galley? I asked. She laughed. Yeah, sorry. We didn't tell you this before because we needed to get you in our evil clutches first. Then she made an evil mwahaha laugh that was totally at odds with the brill I know, and I laughed along with her. I stood up from the chair and she took it again. Settling in with her coffee and a pastry. Help yourself, she told me, indicating the plate. I brought extra. For the next half stand, she explained the watchstander's console and answered questions about my job. She showed me how to slave my tablet to the various displays so I could monitor the status even when I wasn't sitting at the console. Handy when you have to make your rounds or go change a filter or something, she said. Don't worry. We'll have you standing watch with somebody for the first couple of weeks underway. It'll be a bit tiring for a while, but you'll get used to it pretty quickly. We hit a lull then, and I sipped my now-cold coffee and nibbled a pastry. So, how's the greenie? Brill asked. I have no idea, I shrugged. Yesterday coming aboard, she was a mess, like a whipped dog. This morning, just before I came down here, she was teaching Cookie and Pip how to make biscuits. Brill almost choked on her coffee. Teaching Cookie? I don't know if he was just going along or if he was actually getting pointers. I've worked with Cookie making biscuits before. She wasn't saying much I hadn't heard from him. I shrugged. Pip was learning, though, so maybe Cookie was just going along for Pip's benefit. What's with a bruise on the side of her head? I don't know, I said. Might have been a flitter crash. She's dinged up enough. Brill looked at me. You don't believe it, though, do you? I shook my head. No. Yesterday, she kept her hair down, was doing a good job of hiding the bruising. Today, it's like it doesn't matter. What happened overnight, Brill asked. I have no idea. She had some kind of crisis when she bumped into Bev and her ship tea and boxers down in birthing. Well, that's pretty scary right there, Brill teased. I chuckled. True, between the tattoos and the piercings, but she seemed more concerned that Bev wasn't dressed. Ah, uh, the walking around in her underwear thing. Yeah, something like that, I guess. Bev kicked Pip and me out of birthing, and by the time we got back, Sarah was wrapped in her blankets and looked like she was asleep. Brill swung her feet up onto the desk and cupped her coffee close to her face, inhaling the warm smell for a tick, obviously pondering. Eventually, she shrugged. Well, never underestimate the value of a good night's sleep, I guess. Maybe, I replied. So how's the co-op going? She asked, her eyes flicking across the displays. Went really well the first day, and then I kind of lost track. It looked good the other day when we were up there. Francis said they'd sold a ton. Pip came back last night, and I got some sketchy information, but he stepped into the middle of the crisis, so we didn't get too much chance to talk in any detail. He said it went well, and we should get a settlement today. Are you rich yet? She asked with a grin. I don't think so, I chuckled, but we're gaining ground. Considering we started at basically zero after Pip's little escapade in Darbot, I'm pretty pleased. You've got a good eye, Ish, she told me. Pip can run the numbers till the bovines return to the barn, but you have the eye. You'll always outpick him. You two make an amazing team, though. I did my best, ah, shucks routine. This kind of conversation always made me uncomfortable. I'm serious, she said, refusing to let me off the hook. You know, share has gone up by almost 20% in the last two legs, and even people who aren't that into private cargo are getting excited about the co-op. I smiled then. I knew share had gone up, but I didn't know by how much. That's all Pip's doing, I told her. Uh-uh, she said, shaking her head. A lot of it was the reduction in store's expenses. Having a cost center flip up to generate revenue is unheard of. Well, that's all Pip and Cookie, I protested. Ish, she said seriously. Pip and Cookie were together for months. You come aboard, and suddenly Pip comes up with this idea? On his own? She raised a skeptical eyebrow in my direction and sipped her coffee. I sighed. Well, I might have suggested it, I said finally, but he and Cookie make it work. 
Save it, mister, she said with a grin. I ain't buying this little old me act. Leave that to Diane. She has the cleavage for it. I almost blew coffee out my nose at that, and we laughed. All right, enough falderall, Brill told me. You get some real breakfast in you. Come back here at 0800, ready to spend the day. We're getting underway this afternoon, and I want you ready to rumble. I'm going to put you with Francis for the first week, and then shift you to Diane for a week, and then I'll take you for the last week. After that, we'll see where we are, okay? Well, sounds good, I told her. What's the watch schedule going to be? Standard ship underway, she said. Six stand watches, only two watch sections on any given day, so you'll get one day and three off while underway. We'll post the schedule because it's confusing as hell when you start out, but you'll adjust quickly. In port we do 12s and 24s. With three watch standards, that works out well. Okay, I told her. Well, see you in a couple of stands then. You want me to relieve you for breakfast or anything? She shook her head. Now I'll slave my tablet and come up and grab a bite and a few ticks. I want to kick the record-keeping to make sure we've got you firmly ensnared in our evil clutches, she said with a grin. I chuckled, but slaved my tablet to the watchstander console, too. Might as well get in the habit, I told her, and then I headed up to the mess deck. I was ready for some breakfast. Chapter 9. St. Cloud Orbital, 2352, February 21. The mess deck was in full swing when I got back there, or at least as full as it gets while docked. The first day in port, few crews stayed to eat on the ship, but as the port stay wore on, more and more of them came back aboard as money and energy ran out. Liberty expired three stands before departure, and while that was still a couple of stands off, a lot of the crew was back aboard and getting ready to get underway. I grabbed a plate and stood in Pip's omelet line. Looking over his shoulder, I saw Cookie and Sarah working on the yeast breads that they'd be baking later in the day. How's it going, I asked, softly, with a nod in their general direction. I'm not sure, Pip answered. Ron Sham had the messenger watch this morning, and when I rolled over, she, he nodded in Sarah's direction, was already headed for the sand. Whatever she and Bev talked about last night seems to have made a difference, though. When I got out of the shower, she was suited up and waiting for me, pretty much as you see her there. And the biscuit lesson, I asked, as he slid the omelet onto my plate. Pip grinned then. I don't know if that was some test of cookies or what. I've seen Cookie make biscuits hundreds of times, and he makes good biscuits. I had to agree with that. He slipped a couple of hot biscuits onto my plate beside the omelet. I didn't really see her do anything drastically different, but try them. Tell me what you think. I looked over my shoulder and saw Rebecca Salzman waiting behind me. We smiled greetings, and I got out of her way. Stepping away from the serving window, I felt disoriented. I could count the number of times I ate on the mess deck with the crew on the toes of one foot, without taking off my shoes. Bev saved me with a nod at the chair across from her. Good morning. Are you having a strange day too? I asked her. She rolled her eyes and snorted. I don't know what to think. She barely budged all night. I was so worried about her. And looking at her this morning, I want to walk up to her and ask, Who are you and what did you do with Sarah? She joked softly. I tucked into my omelet and split open a biscuit. The omelet was good, but the biscuit was like nothing Cookie had ever made. Don't get me wrong, I like Cookie's biscuits. This was something else. Light and flaky, where Cookie's had a more cake-like texture. I put a dab of margarine on it and tasted it. The old saying about melting in your mouth came back to me. Beth was looking at me strangely. What's the matter, she asked. Nothing, I said, after I swallowed. Try this, though. And I handed her a chunk of biscuit. She looked at it closely and then shrugged and popped it into her mouth. I could see it register on her face. Where'd that come from, and are there any more, she asked. Pip's got a whole basket full up there. I nodded toward the window. Then the cred dropped for Bev. Sarah? she asked quietly. 
Yep, I came up earlier for coffee. She was giving biscuit lessons to Cookie and Pip. Apparently this is the result. The thing is, when I was here, I didn't see her doing anything really terribly different than Cookie taught me. Of course, I didn't see the whole thing, but, but Cookie was paying very close attention. Whatever it is, Bev said, I hope she doesn't stop. She started to reach for my other biscuit, but I playfully spanked her hand. Mine, I said with a grin, and nodded toward the window. Go get your own. She started to do just that, and I added, Oh, and bring me back a couple since you're going. She stuck out her tongue at me and said, Go get your own, in a mocking tone with a big grin. When she came back, though, she dropped a couple extras on my plate. Diane and Francis came to the mess deck then and waved as they got into the breakfast line. I never overlooked the obvious, I mumbled to myself. What? Bev asked. Something that Francis made me think of, I told her. Remember back on Marguerite when we were working that first booth? She nodded. He and Diane had that collection of brocaded vests, and he kept putting them up one at a time. She nodded again. I asked him about it. Was he doing it to make them seem like they were one of a kind, that it was the last one or something in order to drive up the price? And he told me it was just easier to keep track of. Beverly raised her eyebrows and looked at me like I'd started speaking in tongues. It was obvious as soon as he said it, I explained. I made a mental note to never overlook the obvious. Seeing him reminded me. Okay, Bev said, and this relates to what and how. Our little changeling in there, I nodded toward the galley. Bev pondered that for Tick, and what's the obvious? Well, something happened overnight to convince her to trust us. You base this on the hair, I said. You are one strange man, Ishmael Huang, she said with a grin. Hair? she asked. Just then, Sarah walked by the open galley door, and I saw Bev's eyes flick over to the movement. Oh, she said, as she looked back at me with a speculative glint in her eye. I shrugged. It's either that she trusts us, or she's testing us. I wonder what happened overnight, Bev said. I don't know, but it might be as simple as waking up fed, rested, clean, dry, and safe. Bev wrinkled her nose at that. Kind of simplistic, but I suppose. I looked at her. You probably don't remember you've been aboard so long, you old space dog, I said with a grin. When I came on board, the only time I ever felt afraid was meeting Mr. Maxwell for the first time. My first pull-out and first jump were a little nerve-wracking, but I don't know if I'd call it fear. Despite the unknown, I have always felt safe aboard. Trust Lois, I said softly. Bev gave a little chuckle. Indeed, but if she keeps making biscuits like these, I'm going to need to work out more. I finished the last of my omelet and nodded to the chrono. Speaking of which, I didn't get my laps in last night, and I've got to stand before I have to report for duty down in environmental, if you'll excuse me. She nodded and waved. Have fun. It felt good to let it all go while I was running. Of course, I was feeling a lot better when I started. Sitting with Brill for just those few ticks and getting a kind of overview of what I could expect had gone a long way to assuaging my concerns. Seeing that Sarah was already beginning to fit in helped, too. It made me angry that somebody could have done whatever it was to her, and it still didn't sit well, but I was able to pound some distance into my anger. Whatever and whoever it was, it was back on St. Cloud, so distance would work for her as well. I cut my run short, though, and made a mental note not to run so soon after eating. I found Biddy, Francis, and Roan all in the sauna when I got there. They were almost giddy over the success of the co-op. So, do we have a rough idea of the financials, I asked them. Commissions and fees brought in something around 400 creds, Biddy said. I'll get the exact figures later. I sat down hard on the bench. How can that be? Francis said. 
We had almost 20 of the crew selling at the booth at one time or another. Most of them broke a kilocred, so they paid the 10 credits cap fee. Roan chimed in with, The commission on consignments made up the rest. There wasn't all that much on consignment, really, but it amounted to more than a kilocred. I gave a low whistle. So the splits would be something like 200 for the co-op and 50 for each of the managers. Biddy nodded, something like that. We need to account for the booth and table rental yet, but we'll be getting our tablets together later today. Roan said, Pip has a way to get us synced up, so we'll have a running total from day to day at Dunsany. It was one of those things we didn't really think about coming in. They all got up and headed out shortly after, and I sat for a few more ticks, marveling at how well it was working. It couldn't last, of course. Something would blow up in our faces soon, no doubt. I chuckled at my own fatalism as I headed for the showers. I wondered idly how many creds Pip and I had accrued and how much yarn he'd bought. He'd made some comment about twenty kilos of yarn, and I wondered where he'd stashed it all. I grabbed a quick shower before zipping into my ship suit and heading back to Environmental. I got there a few ticks before 0800 and found Diane, Francis, and Brill waiting. Okay, people, Brill said. We got pull out at 1400. That gives us six stands for any last port side maintenance. Recommendations? Diane and Francis looked at each other briefly before Francis said, Sludge. If we do the number one tank now, it'll be good almost all the way to Dunsany. It's going to be due in three days anyway. Number two should be good until just before transition. Brill nodded. Diane, where are we on the scrubbers? Number three we did just before docking. Number four is due this week, and then we'll restart the cycle, she said. So, do we do number four while we're docked, or wait until we're underway? Six of one, half dozen of the other, Diane answered. The matrix should be viable for another couple of days. Okay, then, let's hold off on the scrubber and get full use out of that matrix before we trash it. If we all work on the number one tank, it won't take that long. That sounded pretty logical to me, but I wasn't sure really what the meeting was about. Surely nothing they said was news to anybody else in the room. They all nodded, and we headed over to the number one particulate precipitation tank. Francis, you've got the watch, and Ish is your helper, Biv said. Aye, chief, Francis acknowledged and pulled out his tablet to slave it to the watchstander's station. He started to show me how to do it, and I turned my tablet so he could see that it was already done. By then we'd gotten to the tank. We have to close off the intake valves first, Francis began, and proceeded to walk me through the whole shutdown procedure. Once all the water was diverted to the second tank, he started pumps that emptied the number one tank back into the dirty water reservoir, and we had to wait for the tank to empty. The rest of the process I'd been through once, and it went smoothly. We were done by 10.30 with all the loaf pans in the freezer. Diane and Brill headed off to get cleaned up while Francis and I finished restarting the number one tank. While we waited, Francis showed me the routine maintenance charts and explained that sometimes we'd be pulling these small filters out and replacing them. They were all relatively easy to do and were simply a matter of yanking out the old one and slapping in a new one. We had our heads together over the ship's schematic when the automated system integrity check came up and Francis did the acknowledgement. That reminds me, he said. We'll have to make an inspection tour. Brill and Diane came back in fresh ship suits then and, and we headed for the engineering sand to get cleaned up ourselves. Before we left, Francis formally passed a watch to Diane temporarily. Somebody always has to be on duty, he explained, and that means available to respond more or less immediately. We get a lot of leeway because we can slave the tablets to the station and do most routine things even if we're not sitting right there. But I'm going to be in the shower, so somebody else has to be minding the shop. I can see where having more people to share that load would be good, I said. Yeah, Francis said. We have enough for three watch sections, and if all we had to do was watch, it would be dead simple. It's the extra stuff that takes two people that disrupts us. But the ship's well-maintained, so little things like the odd scrubber maintenance and sludge recovery don't get in the way too badly. You'll see. 
We both ducked into the showers then, and within five ticks were back in ship suits and heading down to Foggy Bottom. When we got back in there, Francis relieved Diane formally again, and then stuck his head in Brill's office. We're going on VSI now, he told her. I have my tablet, and it's slaved. Okay, she said. Be back in time for lunch. Stay on the path, and write if you get work. As we headed out, I started asking questions. VSI? Visual sight inspection, Francis said. We're supposed to do it once each watch. By tradition, we do it somewhere in the middle of the watch, just to break up the monotony, but you can do it any time. What's that mean, visual sight inspection, I asked. He pulled up his ship schematic and clicked down a sensor overlay on it. All the readings we see on the monitor back in the section come from these sensors, he explained. The readings are only as good as the sensors, so we visit each one several times a day. It takes 20 to 30 ticks to make the circuit, depending. It's a nice stroll. Be back in time for lunch, I asked. She'll hang out there in the office until we get back, just in case we need something, but she wants to go to lunch on time. Stay on the path, I asked. If something goes wrong, they know what route we're taking through the ship, and they can trace it quickly. Is that likely, I asked. Well, it's never happened yet, but it's a good practice. Right if you get work, I asked. Bip them if there's anything we need them to do. The whole thing is kind of a ritual. We arrived at the first sensor package then, and Francis showed me the test port. He stuck the end of his stylus into a small hole, and the sensor icon on our tablets blinked red, then green again. Okay, next. There were a lot of sensor packages to test, many only a few steps from the previous one. He had me use my stylus on some of them and check the display. There wasn't a lot to this part of the job. Doesn't this get boring, I asked, after about the fiftieth package. Francis snickered. You have no idea, yet. The alternative is sheer terror. You only have to live through one nasty environmental crisis to appreciate boredom, he said with a smile. Of course, if it's a really nasty one, you don't get to live through it, so the boredom becomes sort of moot. What are the odds, I asked him, trying not to be alarmed. Oh, we're good, he said. A higher probability of being murdered than of dying from lack of oxygen. The key is keeping on top of things, even through the boredom. As long as we keep checking, keep up with the filter maintenance, stay on top of our air and water chemistry, you're safer here than planetside. It's the ships that are sloppy about it because it's boring or expensive that you want to be wary of. The Lois is not one of those. He took me down the length of the spine, the three-meter diameter tube that connected the bow and stern sections of the ship, and we clicked off more sensor packages in there. It was 144 meters long and had four airtight hatches along the way. It seems so small for being the backbone of the ship, I said. Yeah, Francis agreed, but remember that each cargo container is locked to the ones around it on the outside shell of the ship. The connections to the spine are really only for alignment. The real structural connections are up on the edges. We finished out the tour by visiting the boat deck and engine compartments in the after section of the ship. It was the first time I'd been down the spine, so I'd never even visited this part of the ship in all the time I'd been aboard. I was shocked by how big the ship's boat was, probably because it was the first time I'd ever stood beside a shuttlecraft and seen it resting on its landing struts. This one was basically an undersized planetary shuttle. Francis saw me gawking at it and said, They take it out for a spin a couple times a year. It doesn't get much use because it's expensive to run. It seats twelve, but you don't really want to ride in it with that many people. It's a bit crowded. The Dynamar's auxiliaries were monsters. All this time when I heard him talk about the kickers, I had this metal image of a little rocket in the back of the ship. These were huge. I didn't even begin to understand how they worked, but as I stood beside them I realized they needed to get a lot of ship moving. I chuckled to myself over my own naivetes. So how do you know if you got all the sensor packages, I asked Francis. We did them in sequence, he said. If we'd botched the sequence, the test would have gone red and then blinked green instead of going solid green, 
and the mist sensor would blink yellow so you know where to go. That's assuming the sensor package passed, of course. If it failed, it would go red and blink red, indicating the failed test package, but the mist package would still blink yellow. We finished the tour of the aft engineering office space and headed back for environmental. We even made it back in time for lunch. Thanks for listening to Episode 5 of Half Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the solar clipper. Music is from the Banks of Newfoundland, an Irish jig recorded in September 1928 by Peter James Conlon and available on the Internet Archive at www.archive.org. This has been a presentation from Durandus, offered under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 2.5 license. For website and more information on the Golden Age, visit www.durandus.com/golden. Music